Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. So we have got a landmark case uh, that has been taking place. It, uh, it was heard um, yesterday in the Pretoria High Court between the 17th to the 19th. And uh, we are now all anticipating what's going to become of that particular case. It's really of the, it's called the Deadly Air Court case. Um, it's, it's been a case that I think is, is, is really welcome because we've been having this conversation around Deadly Air, uh, particularly around Mpumalanga High Felt area, some of Gauteng as well. And there have been alarm bells upon alarm bells that have been rung. And and interestingly enough, some of the alarm bells have been raised by government itself. And government has also promised to do something about that. But of course, you know, just because there is an alarm raised doesn't mean that anything gets done. So we now finally are here where um, we have interest groups who have taken government to court. It's called the Deadly Air Court case. And we look to see what's going to happen with that particular court case. So let me just talk to some of the people that have actually taken action against the government. Rico Europido is a Groundworks Environmental Health campaigner. He's also a public health scientist who's one of the people who, who's really at the helm of this court case. He joins us now on the line. Rico, thanks for your time. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you and your listeners, Penelo. It's lovely to be back on the show again. Thank you very much for your time, Rico. I mean, you, you've been to court. Um, I know judgment is reserved, but what was your sense of the proceedings in the past two days? Well, I think we're really optimistic about this. You know, I, I, I think that um, government um, attorneys try to obfuscate, um, you know, the evidence in front of the judge. They, they try to put the arguments that, you know, to clean the air, to hold um, industry accountable for pollution will cost billions and billions of rands mm-hmm. and that it's, it's not a judge's um, role to, to dictate you know, to the different spheres of government, what the responsibilities should be. But our advocate was really, really good. And, and, you know, under the circumstances, he really reorientated the judge. And he said to her, he said, this is a case about real lives and real people and the things that they experience every single day on the ground. Hmm. And he systematically deconstructed all the arguments, all the noise, and, and he, he focused to say that by giving people the right to a clean and healthy environment, it means that we, we protect them. We protect their development. We, we protect their health. There are co-benefits in doing this. Um, it's not onerous for government to implement its very own um, intention. And to do that, Government needs to give teeth, you know, to the things that it says it will do. It's no good for government to just say we have a plan and, you know, we we will implement that plan and, and maybe we will have better air by the end of the plan. We're saying, no, that's no good. We can't have more any more paper tigers. Mm-hmm. We need to have teeth. We need government to stand up and to take responsibility for the things that it'll, it said it will do in the first place. And in this case, government needs to have the teeth necessary to clean up the air. So hopefully that is what will be the outcome of this. We will have a government empowered to implement its own laws. So we think this is beneficial for government too, not just for us and communities that suffer from bad air. 
What surprises me, Ruko, is that it was only in 2019 when government's own socioeconomic impact assessment did highlight the fact that the air around in this particular area is high risk, and it could also, and, it, and you know, it's it's it, 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 it's it's part of the reason there is chronic health effects um, on the people in the area that there's a chance of saving lives if it was dealt with. So I'm surprised that they're defending this this action. Well, you know, it. it it kind of stems all the way back to, to 2007 when when the area was declared a, a priority area, and, mm. and and that was because the air was really bad at that time. It you know it was super polluted. We didn't have the act had just been enacted, the Air Quality Act, the regulations hadn't really kicked in. Um, you know we were still developing what are called ambient air quality regulations mm-hmm. and emission limits. This is the limits that that industry has to stick by. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you can imagine that that we had a, a, a bit of a slow start. Mm. But you would have thought that by 2019, a good a good 10 years after the intention, you know, the and the intention is important here because mm. if government really intended to clean up the air, then it would have taken the measures. It, it, it would have put in place the measures to clean up the air. But that's the problem. The intention wasn't really good enough at the time, or the intention wasn't demonstrated over time. And, you know, don't get me wrong. Environment ministries aren't that powerful relative Mm -hmm. to mining industries Mm -hmm. and others. But in this case, you know, we are saying to to our minister, we are saying, minister, you've said this is a health problem. So Mm -hmm. team up with the health ministry. Mm -hmm. Do run health benefit cost analysis, Mm. understand what the burden of health is and how Mm. much the burden of health costs us. And with that, with that kind of partnership, with that kind of approach, you know, you will have more progress. And and we haven't seen that. So hopefully this does that. It, It empowers the minister. I mean, you, you, you speak to health, but I mean, as I read here, the cost is, is massive. It's an educational cost as well. Children are not, are not able to go to school. It's a health cost. I mean, it's, it's all sorts of things. So you're absolutely right. But to the point that you make about it not being as powerful, um, we're talking here about a, of a cluster of about 12 coal firepower stations in that area being responsible, partly being responsible for what we see. Why then was your decision to not go there directly rather than to government? Well, it's it's a whole different kettle of fish mm-hmm. in, in that respect. If, mm-hmm. if, if we had, you know, tried to target the, the, yes. the coal-fired power stations. Yeah. And it's not as if we haven't been targeting them. Mm-hmm. They are governed by air quality Controls. licenses, AEL, yeah. and they have limits on the amount of pollution that they, they can pollute. Yes, But government has been quite... Um, it, it's been quite uh, liberal with them, yes. and and you know our energy security is something that weighs heavily on government's minds. Mm-hmm. We've had rolling blackouts in 2008, mm. and and government has been very quick to grant them postponements, mm. which we effectively pointed out were exemptions from mm-hmm. these from these laws, mm. and 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 that was wrong. The the, the ministers leading up. Up to this point, up to uh, Minister Barbara Creasy, and I, and I feel really sorry for for Minister Creasy because she's inherited this mess mm. 
from a whole succession of ministers before her mm-hmm. that have Im- been implicated in corruption, mm-hmm. um, you know, during the, the Zuma lost years, etc. Mm-hmm. So I do feel for, for Minister Creasy. And and the Eskom especially, and Sassel, mm-hmm. have, have in many cases been given a free reign to pollute mm-hmm. through these postponements. But to Minister Creasy's credit, just recently, Kendall Power Station's ongoing... Um, exceedances, massive exceedances, black smoke billowing from mm. its smokestacks. She has instituted criminal proceedings against them. Okay. And, and you know, that's, that's what we want. Yeah. We want our ministry to man up. We want our ministry, you know, to, to say, hang on, you can't do this. Yeah. There, has to be, there has to be a line in the sand. You have to put a peg in the ground and to say, beyond this, we, no we can't carry on like this. Yeah. <laughs> Have they been lenient with everybody? Um, I mean, are there power steels as well as, as other, I mean, steel plants as well, not only just power plants. Have they been lenient with everybody or is it been selective? It has been our general experience that government has been lenient with major industry and big polluters. Mm. That, is, that is wrong. It's not right. Mm. Um, you know, air pollution is how communities that live on the fence line experience climate change mm-hmm. every single day. Mm-hmm. And air pollution and climate change are the same, are different sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. The one drives the other. Our economy is carbon intensive. Mm-hmm. We cannot carry on like that. Not, not in a global community that says enough. We can't carry on doing business the way we have. We can't have carbon intensive countries carrying on uh, burning millions and millions of tons tons of coal every year that drives climate change, we have to start the process for a just transition, a transition to a renewable energy future that doesn't leave everybody behind and that is mindful of all the problems we have in South Africa, all the inequality, all the poverty, all the marginalized communities that don't have services, that have inadequate houses. And a just transition must take everybody forward because our current economic model our current development model leaves people behind mm. the poverty gap is widening people are are are, are less are more poor mm. now mm. than they were before and they're mm. getting poorer mm. all the time mm. and for poor people the burden of air pollution is is even greater mm. because they have to burn coal in their homes mm. for spatial heating using mbaula mm. and they have to use coal for cooking sometimes mm. in their homes and then that gives them a double burden of pollution mm. so the most vulnerable people in our society who are least responsible for air pollution are the most impacted and they are the ones that bear the burden of this disease and mm. that is so unfair and that is why we have to get behind um the idea that we have to transition our economy, transition our entire society to a different model of development. Well, what's the what's the best case scenario, Rico, um, with this particular case? Um, uh, maybe a fine. I don't know. Maybe a fine. But what will it take to reverse what we are seeing already? Um, because we are already in the danger zone in in that area. The the the, the outcome that we seek, the best case scenario, is that. The judge rules in our favor and mm. says, yes, mm. we, we all have this immediate right to an environment that is not harmful to our health. Mm-hmm. And that takes into consideration, for example, the child's best mm. interest, 
which is, you know, it, 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 we value our children more than anything, and it's paramount in absolutely everything that we should think about. So, you know, we, we have to respect these fundamental rights, the rights of children, the environment rights. And on the basis of that, we, 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 we chart a model of development that takes into consideration and gives meaning these rights. So, for instance, big, dirty energy mm-hmm. in the high salt mm. that produces um, massive amounts of pollution mm. and, and 40% of our climate uh, greenhouse gas contribution. Mm. They must be decommissioned. Mm. The, the shutdown, the, the, the dates for decommissioning must be established. Mm-hmm. And alongside that, government must spend money on a just transition. You know, since COVID, what have we done? We've locked ourselves in our homes to protect our health. Mm -hmm. Our economies around the world have Mm -hmm. almost collapsed. Mm -hmm. Why can't we do the same for climate change? Climate change is a bigger tsunami than COVID. It will, you know, it will impact us even more. Geez, it's it's a big fight because you will definitely get pushback from people saying, you know, you t- immediately people saying you're taking away our jobs and so on. But 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 I get it. And and if you have one of the most polluted hotspots in the world, what? How long will it need to clear that air up? Well, the air in Joburg cleared up overnight when the lockdowns yes. happened. Yes, it was, you yeah. had dirty air yeah. before COVID mm. and then you had clean air during lockdown, mm. which shows you how, how dirty our development model is. Mm. So mm. imagine you have a compact with workers mm. in Mpumalanga, with coal workers, mm-hmm. with miners. Mm-hmm. You have a compact with them that, that includes them mm-hmm. in your transition mm-hmm. and you repurpose. You don't, you don't just, close the power station Mm -hmm. and throw the keys away. Mm -hmm. You repurpose the power station. All the infrastructure for clean energy is already there. Okay. I get exactly what you mean. You accelerate it. Yeah. You know, Minister Gwede Mantashe has has been, he's been holding back the transition to renewables. Mm. We we have almost uh, a blessed renewable um, natural resource in South Africa. Mm. We have sun, Sun we have wind, wind. (laughs) but we don't use it. Mm -hmm. And you know what? That energy comes online quickly. It takes two years for a solar farm to come online. It takes, how long did it take to build um, Medupi? Let's not go there. (laughs) 20 years and hundreds of billions of rands that nearly bankrupted South Africa. Come on, that, that's not the development we want. That's not a model of development for the people of South Africa. Rico, let's take some calls. 0117142006. You're calling from George. Good afternoon, Dean. Good afternoon, Pamela. Thank yeah. you so much. A couple of things on, on what the gentleman's been saying. Um, yes. There's a little bit of incoherence, and I just want to caution everyone mm-hmm. just to be responsible mm-hmm. in the midst of this. Firstly, the statement that the gap between rich and poor is getting much greater under the current model is inaccurate entirely. Um, all the stats around the world have shown, world, uh, the, the international bodies have quite clearly demonstrated that although there is a big gap, that the poor people today are much, much better off even than the rich people 150 years ago um, in many, many ways with the technologies that have been advanced. Plus, the abject poverty rate has been cut down dramatically over the last 25 years. What's made it much, much worse recently are the measures that have been put in place against COVID. 
Um, so there's the first thing that they need to be cautious on is you can't just throw out one model without having a comprehensive alternative. Okay. And, and that's a caution that I want to make. The second point that I want to make is that in the, what, what's coming through in the incoherence of what the argument regarding aspects of the ideology of climate change um, that comes through is on the one hand, uh, COVID is used as a negative thing that's happened to the economy, yet the gentleman in the next sentence said, you know, why can't we do the same as COVID and just lock everything down? The problem is that the measures may very well be worse than the disease in that people are losing their lives or their livelihoods, they are struggling to make decisions for their own lives, and there is evidence to suggest that the measures that are being put into place are killing more people than the actual virus itself, in that uh, stress levels are going high, etc. So I agree that we need to do something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I trust the, uh, uh, the ideologues, if you like, to actually know what they're actually talking about. The, the economies that are suffering in the world the most are actually only getting most of their growth through the different energy patterns that are in the place at the moment, not renewable energy. So I'm not saying we shouldn't change it. Mm-hmm. I am very concerned about whether they actually know the next step to take. It's all well and good to say this is evil, we need to get rid of it. I would like to know what the alternative uh, and functional uh, would you, alternative would be, would be. Yeah, and I hear what you're saying, Dean, but would you also then say the current model is also not quite working? Oh, sure. We yeah, do need to yeah, relook at it, but yeah. they aren't bringing forth an actual yeah. model with references and things. They're just ranting and raving many times. Not this gentleman. He's actually put it forward very, very well in many ways. Yeah. But a I lot of the activation yeah. and movement towards it, they go, that's the problem, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. But like any good manager would want to know, what's the real the plan? Problem? What do you what's think the is the real mm-hmm. plan and how is it going to impact? One of the challenges that we have with the response to COVID mm-hmm. is that, they're saying that this is everything we must do. Mm-hmm. It's not working, yet mm. there's no alternative. Mm. The gentleman in Sweden said, you know, it's fine that you lock down. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't mm. lock down, mm. but how the hell do you get out mm-hmm. of it? I, and spot on, Dean. Thanks for your call, Dean. And, well, and, and Dean. Rico, I think what Dean is also saying is that while we, we people like yourselves, you know, you, you're, a, you're a, a public health scientist and, and you understand in your mind and perhaps on your PC what needs to be done, there needs to be more time and effort given to all of us in, in taking us with you and understanding what will it take to shut down a coal plant, for instance, so that there is buy-in. Yeah, thanks for that. And and thanks for your questions, Dean. Um, you know, they, they really are important and, and, and they kind of they speak to what what concerns, you know, everyday people mm. have. But with all due respect, I think you put a couple of words in my mouth. Mm-hmm. The first one is that I'm not advocating lockdowns. Mm-hmm. I was merely demonstrating the point that when we had COVID and when the immediate threat to public health was apparent to the people of South Africa, we willingly went into lockdown and around the world people willingly go into lockdowns as their governments request them to do in order to protect their their health because that is the motivation that's the basis for going into lockdown so we value the point is we value our health Mm -hmm. so if we value our health in the context of COVID, Mm -hmm. which almost brought the, the, the world's economy to a standstill, we should in the same way value our health in terms of air pollution. Mm-hmm. Now, let me give you a little bit of context. Uh, Rico, if you don't mind, I'm going to pause you there. Just just yeah. hold on to that thought. We'll get back to it. I've got to go to the headlines. It is 1.30. Let me go to uh, Anne Musa for the latest in headlines. At SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. 
We continue our conversation with, with, with Rico Euripido, who's a Groundworks Environmental Health uh, campaigner. Uh, they've just been to court, taking government to court. Uh, this is on the back of what they're saying are really very disturbing kind of uh, levels of pollution in that um, Pumalanga, they're calling it the high felt area, pits of bits of Gauteng as well is involved in this. And, um, you know, judgment has been reserved until further notice. Um, but, you know, Rico, I did interrupt you. You're still in the middle of a thought. Yeah, thank you so much, Camilla. So, um, you know, just to just to kind of put it into some context, um, the, the idea that you know we value our health and and people around the world are willingly going into lockdowns because of COVID in to protect their health. Um, and and this is I'm going to give you some context in terms of global deaths from air pollution. This is not groundwork, an NGO saying this. Yes, or, I, I saw that. This is yeah. um, independent um, assessments done by international world, bodies. Yeah, The World Health Organization. Mm. And, and South Africa is a member of the World Health Organization. Mm. So effectively, you know, the World Health Organization represents South Africa. Mm. We are mm-hmm. a member country. The World Health Organization estimates that between 7 and 9 million people die from air pollution every single year, from indoor air pollution and outdoor air pollution combined. Mm. Now, Compared to COVID... And about 600,000 children a year, right? 600,000 children. Mm. Now, how many deaths have there been from COVID globally so far over over a year and a half? Three and a half million. Mm. So already air pollution has killed over a year and a half mm. almost three times as many people from the, compared to COVID. And, and, and we know this because the epidemiological global evidence base is validated. We know that air pollution around the world is responsible for one in four deaths from heart disease, from, for one in three deaths from stroke, from one in three deaths from um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Now, I mentioned those three diseases because those are the three leading causes of death, according to the WHO. You would think it's HIV, AIDS, TB or malaria, but it's not. Air pollution killed more people than HIV, AIDS, TB and malaria combined every year, twice as many people. I, I hear you. I hear you. What you're saying is that if there's an outcry and the world has come to a standstill because of COVID, why aren't we reacting the same way? Um, exactly. That's, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. Biza is calling from Woodbank. Hi. Hi, good afternoon. Whitbank, uh, so this is this touches you uh, personally, Biza? <laughs> no, it does. Um, but I think there are fundamental questions that one needs to, to ask your, your guest there, in particular, mm. the, the affordability of, of just transition. Because mm-hmm. many people, they don't talk about the affordability. Because mm. now we know for a fact that ESCOM is selling is kilowatt per hour less than one rand, um, and 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 again when you look into a power station such as Quebec, mm-hmm. uh, is the cleanest of them all. It's in fact lesser than uh, this uh, coal-fired uh, uh, power station. So so we really need to know if this just transition will be affordable mm-hmm. to, to to people who come from rural place, places in Limpopo, mm-hmm. in KwaZulu Natal, in Eastern Cape. Mm-hmm. That's number one. But number two. We know for a fact that France is not, not France, Germany. It's it's using uh, coal and other. It's using um, solar power. Uh, sun, yes, yeah. it's using either sun or or, or yes yeah, to, to generate electricity. 
And at some stage, it happened that for three weeks, there was no sun. Um, <laughs> and the economy of Germany nearly collapsed. Fortunately <laughs> enough, because the two, France and Germany are next to each other, France had to intervene and, and, and assist, assist Germany. Imagine a South African situation whereby we don't have a neighbor who will be able to assist the, the, the country. Look how big is the country. Should we have such a problem? Your, your guess there. What is this analysis? How does he think that we must move going forward? That let's assume that we have moved into that transition. Yeah. We rely on on sun for electricity, yeah. and three weeks don't have that particular sun. Okay. How are we going to Great question. Country? Great question, Biza. So, so Rico, this is, I think, you know, to the point Dean was also making. Let's yeah. get to the nitty gritties. What we know is that we don't have a shortage of sun. But in the event that there is, one of the problems we've had in the sector is storage of that power and energy once the sun is not there. Have we been able to to deal with the cost of their, that technology? So th- these are really good questions. Mm. And you know, if, if if the sun is not shining somewhere in Africa and the sun is always shining in Africa, mm. the wind is always blowing somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's that's the kind of energy mix that you need. You, you can't have one single source. You have to have a mix. And that mix has to be supplemented with storage. Mm. You're right. Battery powers. We also have um, hydro, hydrological um, storage. You know, we during the day when we have abundant energy and, and, and there's not a lot of energy being used, we use, we're pumping up water up into the Drakensberg and then that water comes all the way down in the evening so that it deals with, with our peak requirements for energy. But every single, every single year, every single month, the advancements in, um, in renewable energy, storage, generation, they increase exponentially. So, so we have better technology now than we had last year. Last year, we had much better than we had five years ago. Five years ago, we had much, much better than we had 10 years ago. So all the time, we have these improvements. The, the International Energy Agency, which is the global agency that, that helps countries and directs them with energy policy, are saying no more coal. No more coal for developed countries from 2025 to 2030. No more coal for developing countries from 2030. 2030 is just around the corner. In the blink of an eye, we will get there to 2030. And, and they are saying this on the back of the availability, the cost effectiveness, the provenness of, uh, sorry, I, I don't know if that's a real word, but <laughs> renewable energy yes. is proven. It's proven globally. Yes. It can be reliable. And let's come back to Germany. Germany's renewable energy potential is not even one-fifth of South Africa's, and yet they generate more renewable energy than we do in our entire energy mix. Now, that is embarrassing, guys. I mean, come on. Zaza, you're calling from Cape Town High. To be honest with you, um, this debate of air pollution and energy mix itself is now becoming like the save the rhino thing, you know what I mean? Whereby every NGO can just pick it up and run with it, you know what I mean? But usually, most of these NGOs, they are fronts of companies that have got vested interest in that industry. Um, for, the, for example, the gentleman there, I'm pretty sure he, he's, um, he's, if ever he's running an NGO, I'm pretty sure his NGO is sponsored by some renewable energy companies that is um, looking for ESCOM to, to, to go that route so that they can benefit a lot from it. 
And, and if you look at it, let's be honest, even, you know, if we ever we go that route of saying let's abandon coal and whatever it is at the moment, and we go the route that he's advocating, you know, there will be more load shedding than, than there is at the moment. How do you know? No, the thing is, we, we are an industrialized economy, and industrially we are still growing, so which means uh, we are more energy consuming now than we were before, yeah. and we're still going to be more energy consuming in the future. So yeah, but energy, still... energy consumption does not necessarily mean the technology that you use to generate energy, the same amount of energy does not have to change. No, but in this case, the alternatives that they are providing won't going to sustain. How do you know? This is the question I'm asking. How do you know? I'm in the industry. Basically, I'm in the industry that is energy intensive. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So the type of of energy we use, I know if we go the renewable energy route, as they are advocating, it won't going to sustain us. But but you still are not answering the questions, Zaza. I'm saying, how, how do you know the energy mix will not sustain us? You're just telling me you know, but I'm saying, how do you know? No one has provided a model that if we introduce renewables, mm-hmm. they'll be able to supply enough energy mm-hmm. to sustain more than what we have at the moment. Okay, hold on. Don't leave, Rico. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. With all due respect, Zaza, that, that, that is totally wrong. What you're saying is totally wrong. The CSRR have, have modeled our energy use. And, and whether or not we can use a renewable energy model to, to power our energy needs. And those models emphatically show that they can. And also, mainstream energy economists like Meridian have, have also done the same kind of modeling, and they emphatically show that we can produce energy cheaper, more reliably, and also serve the needs of the poor. In South Africa at the moment, we still have people that live in energy poverty, and, and, and they're not being serviced by, um, by the current energy model. But just to come back to, to Zaza, you know, and, and his point about Save the Rhinos and, and NGOs about Save the Rhinos, I'm sorry, Zaza, with, with all due respect, we are an environmental justice organization. We work with people who live on the fence line of these dirty industries. These people have contributed the least to the air pollution problem, to pollution in general, they are impacted the most, and they have the least agency, the least ability to do something about it. That is an environmental injustice. In fact, it's environmental racism, because that's what the apartheid government did. It put poor black people on the fence line of dirty industry so that it could use their labor, but also it knew that they would be most impacted on. And this idea... Of, of justice is really important because from a climate change perspective, and this is what coal does, coal and air pollution and climate change are all the same thing. We have to understand that. From a climate change point of view, we have a global treaty that is doing its utmost to promote um, the transition to clean and renewable energy so that globally, we don't have an existential crisis. If we don't do anything about climate change, it affects our very existence on Earth. If the temperature increases by 2% globally, it means a 6% increase in temperature in Africa. Africa as a continent is least responsible for climate change, but will be most impacted by climate change. That is unfair. We have to address climate change. And in South Africa, we are climate gangsters. Our economy is too carbon intensive. Zaza, Zaza, you're not sold, are you? Uh, 
you know what? Yeah. You know what, Pemelo? Mm-hmm. I've had this debate many times ago. I know Sorry? I'm not going to... I've had this debate many times before, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go the, the emotional blackmail route of saying, you know, because... Um, it's not emotional blackmail. No, no, no. I mean, so... Let's face facts. Your line is not great, Zaza. Just move around a little bit. Uh, um, you know, Cape Town is raining kids and dogs. Oh, right? I see. Okay. All right. Now. Okay. You know, let, let's face facts, you know what I mean? Okay. Um, industries are growing, you know what I mean? The economies are growing, so... We have to be honest as to how we take this issue, not for the sake of benefiting the companies that are in the renewable industry. You know can, what I mean? can I ask you a quick question, Zaz? I know you've got to go. Uh, does yeah. the air pollution issue bother you at all? Is that something that actually crosses your mind at all? Or, or, it does bother me. Yeah? It does bother me, mm-hmm. but let's be honest about it. You know what I mean? Let's, let's not be emotional about it. Let's face facts. Let's not raise some unnecessary hula baloo that doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Part of the reason we're having this conversation, Zaza, is whether you and I like it. They've gone to court now, so it will actually affect us either way. So we obviously have to wait and see what happens there with that court case, Zaza, there in Cape Town. Rico, I'm going to have to leave it here, but we obviously will have to speak soon uh, when, 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 the, when the, the judge has actually told us what they've decided on this particular case. Yeah, um, and... And, you know, like you say, the, the implications will, will be um, it will be a landmark case for mm. all of us, because what it does is it, it is it compels the court that people have a right to, you know, people's human rights matter. And one of those human rights is the idea that people have the right to an environment that is not harmful to their health and that children's rights should be protected. So that's the importance of the case. Let's not lose sight of that. You know, whether you are for the coal industry or whether you're for the renewable energy uh, industry, uh, that's not the point. The point is about whether or not your rights matter. So that's what that's what we're hoping for. And we're not saying Eskom must close. That's not what we're saying. We want Eskom to be our national energy provider that provides us clean, re- reliable um renewable energy we want eskom to change to transform to come with us on this journey um and to to catch up with the time that's what we want thanks for your time rico Urupiro is a groundworks environmental health campaigner public health scientist as well so we look to that judgment very soon it should be in a few weeks we don't have the date yet but yeah we'll wait and see